0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good morning and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Re- Ways. We're the show that talks about some pretty... Difficult topics, I think, uh, topics that uh, generally miss the major airways, and uh, that's uh, something that we hope we can do something about with our show. We take call-ins, so if you're out there, you're listening, uh, and you want to throw in your two cents worth, please do. It's 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Our guest today is somebody I've known for quite a long time, although we haven't been in constant contact, have we, Barb? No, um, yeah, it's been a it while. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it has it has uh it is Barbara paradiso, and uh what makes Barbara Paradiso special besides a whole slew of personal things that uh we're not gonna get into is the fact that she began a program at the University of Colorado at u c Denver on uh, the uh domestic violence issues, and she is the founder and director. Of the Center on Domestic Violence at the School of Public Affairs, University of Colorado, and she's responsible for development and maintenance of, a, of that center. Which uh, I, Barb, is it still the only one, or are there others that have, have uh, taken up the banner?
0: Mm-hmm. There are a number of centers around the issue of domestic and, uh, issues of domestic and sexual violence in the country now, but I think we continue to be the only one that really focuses on issues around leadership and policy development
1: mm-hmm. and research. Mm-hmm. which is so key, I think, um, to this field. I mean, the legitimacy of anyone studying in a field is to get that, that information and do those studies and find out exactly what we're dealing with, and that's what UC Denver does, so yay on them. I have also uh, am a graduate of uh, the program at UC Denver on Center on Domestic Violence, and so I'm kind of familiar with it, although it's been a while, and I'm sure there's lots of changes. Barb is with us today because we're going to talk about what we do when we witness domestic violence. There are a number of times that we see something that may make us raise an eyebrow. Um, There's different scenarios of when we see this stuff. We could just be in the grocery store. We could be at home. Uh, We could be with relatives. It could be us. Um, But what do we do when we observe something that is uh, a domestic violence situation? How do you answer that? Twenty-five words or less, Barb. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: Heather, I think this is such an important topic to talk about. It's really because I really believe it's uh, it it, it's a harbinger of the future of our work around domestic violence. Is uh, one of the things we've been trying for generations, well, maybe decades anyway, now is to get as much of the community involved in making a difference as possible. And I think when we talk about bystanders, each of us, um, that means all of us, all of us have a role to play in being able to interrupt and make a difference around domestic violence uh, among our circle of friends and in our community in general.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you some different scenarios. You tell me what I would do. Okay, I am um, out with my kids and we're at uh, Target doing some shopping and there is a man and woman next to us and they're starting to bicker and the bickering becomes pretty intense and the man is just really browbeating the wife. Mm -hmm. I talk to my kids about it later. I don't like it. Is there anything I should or could do about that?
0: Mm. You know, there's actually a variety of different strategies. And when we begin working with a group of individuals around uh, increasing their bystander skills, we talk about the different ways that you can approach a situation. You certainly could do something direct (laughs) where you could walk up to the couple and say, I don't know what's going on here, but this feels really uncomfortable. Is there something I can do to help, for instance. So you could have a very direct approach to making an intervention in that case. A lot of people have a tendency to shy away from that because it feels very dangerous that, uh, you know, if the, if the individual who's escalating, their anger is escalating, that they might end up taking it out on you uh, instead of the, the person that they originated um, the the fight with. Um, but that's one option. Another option is to to distract. So, um, you could have something, um, you could try to distract the person who is angry um, by going up and asking them a question, not actually saying anything about the fact that their voice is escalating and then it looks like something serious might be happening, but, you know, excuse me, you know, I'm looking for the, you know, the produce department or something
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: in the grocery store. And uh, that might be a way of intervening. So there, there's a n- number of different approaches that an individual could take. And part okay, of using the, that
1: approach that you just described, Barb, what, huh? what is the benefit of my going up to that, that uh, couple and saying, you know, where is the produce department? Um, that's not likely to have any kind of long-term effect, is it? Um,
0: no, but, I, you know, there's not very many things that at, in this, in the moment that we can do to actually have a long-term impact. What we might be able to do is to interrupt an incident of violence that is about to occur. Um, okay. And that opens right. up doors to other possibilities uh, okay. for the future. Right. It Might a victim for the moment, yeah.
1: Uh, maybe we should back up and ask, what is the role of a bystander? Why would we uh, interfere? Why would we? Uh, you know, what what is the role of the bystander? We're not going to fix the problem. So, what is our role?
0: Mm. You know, I think in the big picture is that the, the bystander plays a role of being the conscious conscience of our community. One of the ways that we know that we can impact negative behaviors, um, that we have learned we can impact negative behaviors, is when a society makes a decision that it's unacceptable and stands up to say that it is unacceptable. So when we as bystanders... Stand up, and even if we don't say, "I don't like your behavior," but we interrupt that behavior, and it's obvious in in our um, in our body language and in our attitude that what is going on isn't okay. Then we help contribute to a general society saying, "No, this behavior isn't okay, and in some way it needs to change." So, uh, So in the long run.
1: Yeah, so something like we did with smoking, where, you know, it started out, you know, a couple decades ago with dirty looks at anybody who would light up a cigarette. And eventually that has increased and there's been more people and socially smoking is no longer acceptable. I mean, it's just not. Um, mm-hmm. But it took a long time to get there.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: So not what if... you're saying or what I'm hearing no. you say is that we need to do kind of the same thing when it comes to um, domestic violence situations. Exactly. How do we evaluate, as bystanders, though, a domestic violence situation, and it's just an argument?
0: hmm You know, in some ways, I don't think that we need to evaluate it. If it's something that is uncomfortable to us, a, a big piece is just trusting your gut. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, then certainly um, you, it, taking a step forward and asking if you can help or trying to distract the situation or going to get help. You know, again, if you're in that Target store or in a grocery store somewhere, um, you can always go to a manager or an employee and say, I think there's something going on in this area that's a little uncomfortable. So there, there's a lot of different actions that an individual um, can take, and it's not necessarily you don't, – you don't have to be the person to assess whether or not ultimately something <laughs> horrific – um, might have happened. You, it can simply be a situation of you being uncomfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. And so there's no harm is, that's done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the benefit that's done, um, other than the momentary benefit of of just stopping that situation mm. for that moment?
0: Well, as I said, there's the momentary benefit, and then there's also that sense of a community that's watching um, okay. and noticing. Are some behaviors that happen between people that just aren't okay uh, and making yeah. a comment about which helps contribute to the bigger the the bigger picture of um, saying no to violence
1: yeah, okay, so um can we feel safe if we do something like that? You mentioned the safety issue, and i I know I've talked to a lot of people who are are concerned about their own safety when they see something mm-hmm. like that.
0: And I think that's that can be very legitimate. Um, which is why it's helpful to have a couple of different to think it through a little bit, perhaps ahead of time. <laughs> and to have a couple of
1: <laughs> oh, <Bob>. strategies. <laughs> come on. <laughs> think it through? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs>
0: so now you're just the doesn't the have feeling. to be on you individually. <laughs> you know, you can go and find that manager in the store or find uh, a couple of other people who might do it with you or um again take a slightly indirect approach um when you're making an intervention for the most part what we find in domestic violence cases in particular is that the batter the person who chooses to use violence does so with their partner or with someone that they find it safe to be violent with um it is less frequent actually strike out against uh people in a public environment or uh with people that they don't know so yeah
1: that's comforting to know Um, So chances are, unless there are actual uh, blows being thrown, that it's not as risky as we might assume it is. Am I making a leap there? Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. Um, I know that I saw a a situation of uh, child abuse, and... You could tell, uh, it was in some store, I don't remember which, and you could tell the mother was just absolutely frantic and she was grabbing the child's arm and jerking the child, I mean, more so than, you know, to the point where it really, really made me uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was yelling, and I thought, what do I do? You know, I mean, yeah, I could call the police, but by the time the police got here, she'd probably be gone. And so I went over to her and I just said, it's really tough, isn't it? It's really hard being a parent. And I found that she just started calming down mm-hmm. um, just with that acknowledgement. I've often wondered if that was an appropriate approach.
0: Well, I think it was a beautiful approach. And you can tell just by the response that you received that it was an approach that that worked. Um, I think empathizing with another individual is a wonderful way to go, especially... You know, you brought up, Heather, the, the fact that do we have to know? Do we have to be able to assess whether or not who's, who's, the, who's the victim and who's the offender in this situation? You know, do we have to have enough insight before we take action? And I think we can empathize with anyone who's going through a hard time, anyone who might be acting out even uh, in a negative way. So um, I think that that was a beautiful way to approach that individual.
1: Well, and I know that, you know, uh, for me, when I was raising my children, uh, sometimes it was just, uh, you know, all you needed to know is that you're not alone out there um, Mm -hmm. with this child, and, um, you know, for me, that could make a difference, so I just tried it with her. Would a similar approach work, do you think, with domestic violence situations?
0: Certainly could. It would be interesting to know what the words would be that you might use, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I think that so with the situation that you experienced around child abuse, it may have been that she felt as though you understood her, and that's what helped her to calm down. It may have been just that she realized that there were other people watching her behavior, other people that noticed. Um, because I think, you know, we have inside of ourselves um, that uh, that measure that says what we're doing is inappropriate. You know, when we're – I have kids too. <laughs> getting really frustrated with and I know when my anger gets over the top you know I know that sense Um, so I think that um, many of us have that gauge or most of us have that gauge inside um, where we know what is appropriate and what's not appropriate or where it's okay to go and where it's not Um, so I think even when we're talking about domestic violence offenders they know what the community is willing to tolerate and what they're not and if they're stepping over that bounds and Someone helps them recognize that they're stepping over that bounds. That people are watching. That it that again, it could um, interrupt the violence.
1: Yeah, um, I was. Uh, I envisioned you were saying you're not sure what kind of words you would use, and I was thinking of the victim of you know. No, I I don't know of any victim who would, if you went over as a stranger and said, "Oh, this is uh, unacceptable behavior. Can I help get you to a shelter or something like that?" I don't know of a single victim who would say, "Oh, yes, thank you, thank you." um mm-hmm. but if you went to the the victim in that situation um and said, you know, it's really tough being a couple. I you know, it's really really hard. Um and uh I I know how that works and sometimes you need help, sometimes you don't and and I tend to carry cards from the domestic violence shelters with me. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know whether that's an appropriate response or not cuz I think sometimes we we're we're Balancing a very on a very difficult uh, line by trying to help and by making the woman more defensive. Because I don't know a single victim who has been you know yippee skippy. I'm a domestic violence victim and I'm going to tell the world. Um, usually, folks who are victimized tend to keep it a little quiet when it comes to domestic violence. Um, I think they accept a lot of blame for it and they think that you know by by just saying oh yeah yeah this is abuse and you know that um it's their own fault and i i don't know i'm i'm struggling here for the words bar but do you know what i'm saying
0: mhm mhm yeah there's a tremendous amount of shame that comes along with uh it being victimized and so it's not uncommon for a survivor to want to save face in a public situation as well so might might either be terrified by the fact that somebody is intervening and what that might mean in the long run, <laughs> or might be yeah. simply shamed by the fact that somebody is intervening um, and be very uncomfortable with that. So I yeah. understand what you're saying.
1: So do we, if we, you know, go back, going back to our couple in the grocery store um, or in Target, it, do we address one partner or the other do we uh talk to them both with our where is the clothing department kind of thing um do are we qualified as bystanders to decide which is the best approach
0: yes we are absolutely qualified as bystanders to decide what the best approach is because part of the idea around being a bystander is that um is having inside yourself the knowledge that if you do something that it is better than doing nothing, and then deciding for yourself what is comfortable for you to do. And that could be talking to both cu- both people in the couple. It could be walking up to one. It could be asking if there's something that you can do to help. Uh, it seems like um, they're having a difficult time. It could be finding that manager who can also help intervene. The other thing to remember is that you're not alone. In most public situations, there are other people standing around as well, other people noticing that something um, Difficult or untoward is happening, so uh, so oftentimes you you might have backup (laughs) um, in whatever you make an intervention. Yeah,
1: and I've seen that scenario. I've seen Uh that scenario where several bystanders are just kind of bonding, going, "Look at that! Do you see that? Is there anything we should do? What you know?" Um, Uh And I've seen that that kind of buzz without any action, Uh which. I don't know. It seems pretty harsh to me. Uh, if you really see a problem, then, you know, it seems to me you should do something, even if it's picking up your cell phone and calling the police. That, that's my mm-hmm. opinion. Please join us. Uh, we'd love to have some phone calls. I'd love to know how you've handled these situations. I've talked about a couple that I have uh, seen and witnessed. Um, the phone number is 646-378-0430. That's 646 646- Three seven eight zero four three zero. Have you ever encountered a situation like what we're talking about? Um, I'd, I'd love to hear about it, and I'd love to hear whether or not you did anything, and if so, what did you do? Barbara, I was telling you about this uh, bystanders uh, study, Review of Bystander Approaches in Support of Preventing Violence Against Women. It's out of Australia, and they list a five stage model. For, which sounds pretty complex, but it makes sense when you think about it, um, a model for what a bystander needs to do in order to actually take some action, even if it's just going up and asking for the clothing department. The first thing they said is you have to notice the situation. Well, I can't see that that's necessarily a problem. I mean, it seems to me that some of these, it's hard to not notice these situations, I think. And then interpreting the event as requiring intervention. And I think that that's what gets in our way a lot of times. You know, is this something, is this domestic violence? Is this not domestic violence? Is this child abuse? Is this not child abuse? Um, Is is this something that requires an intervention, or is this just a mom that's feeling particularly harried at this moment? Interpreting the event as requiring intervention, do you have any uh, help for me on that?
0: Hmm. You know, that again is just um, I think the model that you're laying out is really the steps that an individual goes through um, sort of naturally whenever something, whenever they do notice the situation first and certainly interpreting the event as requiring intervention is that piece that is going to be individual to each of us um, and I think has a lot to do with listening to our gut. If it's something that feels uncomfortable to us likely something uncomfortable is going on and I think one of the important things to remember is that just simply stepping in and saying a few words is doing no harm to anyone, and you might be doing a tremendous amount of good. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. What about my obnoxious technique of carrying around some cards from different shelters? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't think that's obnoxious. I've done the same thing myself when I've been in a, okay. in a store and a woman with a huge shiner and I you know wonder what's going on. I certainly have done the same thing, so I think it's a great idea. <laughs>
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. I've been absolved by Barbara. Okay. Um, (laughs) I feel much better about myself. Going back to this five-step model, um, Uh the the noticing the situation, well, that's kind of a slam dunk. Interpreting the event as requiring intervention, we're going to listen to our gut on that one. And Mm -hmm. then assuming responsibility. Mm. What is it that can trigger us as bystanders to assume that we do have some responsibility in this situation? or that we just keep going, rolling our cart down the aisle and, and trying to get away from it. Is this you know, I way? I
0: think that that's the most difficult step in this five-step model is the piece around assuming responsibility. And it's work that we have to do in advance, I think, of any situation actually coming up. You were mentioning the situation that you saw where there's something going on and a number of people standing around watching and nobody doing anything. And actually, um, some of the good research that, has built um a support for the idea of bystander intervention is uh, recognizing um that there's sort of this thing that is human nature. Uh, the term that they use for it is diffusion of responsibility. We talked about that a little bit before the call as well. Um, and what is noticed is that it's not unusual when there are a number of people, of people watching an incident to, for everyone to stand back and say, well, somebody else will take responsibility for this. I don't have to do it because so many other people are seeing that there's a problem here. And so if all of us assume somebody else is going to take responsibility, then no one actually steps in.
1: So in many ways,
0: I think this piece around assuming responsibility is something that all of us have to check in with ourselves about and say, are we willing to step up? Do we feel as though there's enough value for us to step up? What is our own personal belief or our own personal value or ethic around uh, stepping in and wanting to make a difference around violence that might be happening in intimate relationships?
1: Well, and I think that brings up another question, at least another factor to consider. Are we in that uh, situation, witnessing that situation with our kids on our own? I think it would be much easier to make a decision to intervene in some way if you're on your own. If you have children with you, then I would think your first thought is, is this safe for the kids? Is this a good example for the kids? Is this, you know, um, at least for me, I mean, when I had my kids with me, everything was filtered through, through them first.
0: Sure. Would it be sure.
1: would would it be um a good thing for your children to see you do something like that? Would it uh be putting them at risk for something? What's your opinion on that?
0: You know, I, I well my own opinion is that I think it would be a wonderful example for your children and I think that it would very much could very much impact the strategy that you chose. So if you have your kids in tow, the last thing you want to do is put them in any kind of danger. So a direct approach is probably not what you would do in that situation. You might reach out again to a manager in the store or someone where you're not the person who's intervening, but you're taking action. You're doing something to say, this behavior isn't okay. And as a member of this community, I have some responsibility to take action of some kind. And I think that's that's a great model for your children.
1: Okay. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, as long as you've determined that there's very little risk involved for your children. And I think that if you're standing in the middle of a target, I can't imagine there being too much risk unless blows are being thrown. Um, so, you know, that's that's my opinion, and I would not hesitate to do something like that uh, with mm-hmm. my children. And so, Of course, my children are bigger than I am now, so it's no longer a question for me, <laughs> but it might be for others. Uh, let's go back to this five-step model, because really, this really spoke to me. So we have noticing the situation, interpreting the event as requiring intervention, assuming responsibility, and that's that's the tricky part. Then, once you've assumed responsibility, deciding how to help. And we've <coughs> kind of talked about that, but can we go into a little bit more detail, Barb? What, you know, like I just said, if, if there were blows being thrown, I wouldn't intervene. I would pick up the cell phone and call 911 um mm-hmm. if if there was just an argument uh, going on i would probably go so deciding how to help what are what are the factors that we look at for that
0: i think very many of the things that we've already talked about that the level of danger that might be present um what we ourselves are comfortable with how well we might know the environment or know the people that are engaging uh in the difficulty if you if you know them as friends, perhaps, as colleagues, you might take a different approach than you would if they're complete strangers. Um, uh, having some sense about w- even the resources that are available to you. So are, is there a manager close by? Are there other people close by? Do you see that other people are uncomfortable with the situation? I mean, There's so many uh, different uh, aspects that might affect your decision on how to go about helping. Okay. You know, I All think right. one of the things that is kind of helpful though is to think about some is to have back of your mind a couple of different strategies that you might um be able to take knowing that you could make a direct Um, have a direct intervention, which means just actually confronting behavior. Um, Or you could do something that isn't quite that direct, that is, again, just trying to distract, Um, for instance, that going to get help in the moment or even later on um, is another strategy. So thinking through in advance some of the different approaches that you might be able to take, I think that, that helps us all feel a little bit more comfortable.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking of all the organizations that we all belong to. You know, the um, Chamber of Commerce and the the business professional women, and you know, all all of the Girl Scouts. You know, I mean, all of the different organizations that we all belong to. Maybe as an organization, we should tackle the topic. What do we do? What's an appropriate response when we see uh, something like that going on? Um, I I think it would be a great um, topic. Because oh, what are the statistics now, Barb? Twenty-five to thirty percent of women in this country will experience domestic violence in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's
0: at uh, least twenty-five.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and some studies actually show a little bit higher. And so, if uh, you know, if a quarter of your um, women's club, for example, uh, is likely to be in this scenario, <laughs> talk about it. You know, just mm-hmm. make it a, a top talk about it. it's not a big secret you know it happens to the best of us um and so yeah, i think that you know that would be one way to help decide how to help is if we actually talked about it mhm
0: um and even practice, you know that,
1: maybe sure sure uh-huh. i think that's a great idea you know uh cuz you know i mean if we see somebody who is you know out of control we're intimidated we just want to get the heck out of there. Uh, but then I think we also have this, this empathy factor where we look at the, the person is being victimized and we think, oh, what if that were me there? Would I want somebody to jump in and help? Um, so I think talking about how to help in these scenarios would be really important for all of us to do. Our fifth leg of this five-stage model is confidence in our capacity to do help, to give help. Noticing the situation, interpreting the event as requiring intervention, assuming responsibility for it, deciding how to help, and then having the confidence that we can help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do we gain that confidence?
0: One of the best ways, I think, to gain confidence is to actually do it you know, and have a positive outcome as a result. Uh, That certainly helps. I think what we were just talking about, practicing, there actually are a number of different. Programs and models out there now that really are about helping people to figure out how to do good, how to be a good bystander when it comes to domestic violence. You know, there's some uh, wonderful program bringing in the bystander that was developed um, at the University of New Hampshire. There is the Mentors in Violence Prevention program that was developed by Jackson Katz many years ago. There's even um, the White House is just um, promoting "It's on Us," and part of that um, that campaign has a. Bystander. bystander Bystander component. So there's a lot of different programs out there that we can gain access to. Even calling your local domestic violence or sexual assault program, Uh, there's probably somebody on their staff that would be willing to come out to your to a woman's group or to another group in the community um, to do a little bit of a training around bystander. And so having somebody come talk to you, uh, help help you go through the process of thinking through what your different strategies are, the different um, ways you can help, uh, and then ha- being able to practice with a number of different scenarios is one of the ways to build a, a lot of confidence around this. So
1: well, that's that kind, kind of, of brings a formal full, way. Yeah, That kind of brings us full circle to what we were talking about to begin with, uh, to begin the show, which is um, you know the social norms we we mm-hmm. need to do um whatever it takes to make sure that we are not normalizing such behavior by ignoring it. Woo. Exactly. Get me a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, that was good. That was good. Um <laughs> but uh you know, I I mean I really do think that that's that's what we need to do is to just get out there and talk about it. I think it's important well, of course, I, I believe that education about domestic violence is very important for everybody, um, because there are so many misconceptions about it, and um, you know, you you know this. So I'm not telling you anything new. Um, but from the standpoint, uh, I, I I have yet to find very many people um, who want to talk about domestic violence from the standpoint of experiencing it. They mm-hmm. usually talk about it from the standpoint of witnessing it. So, if that's you know, if if that's something that you can envision yourself, you know, yourself doing as an is experience or as, um, witnessing domestic violence, and you know, let's all get educated on what we do when we witness it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, you can have the soapbox back down, Barbara. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, that's fine. I think that makes so much sense. You know, it, um, it domestic violence is such a complicated dynamic that goes on um, when you're when you see it happening with a friend or a family member chances are you know both people in the couple you may have a long history with both of them you may care and love both care for each of them and love each of them uh in their own way it's very hard to figure out if there's blame you know what what you've seen and what you haven't seen and one of the best things about the bystander movement <laughs> um in this work is that you don't have to blame anybody um, that it's not about blame. It's about witnessing behavior and saying that a certain behavior is not okay. Yep. And it helps. I think it just sort of cuts through all of the very um, difficult and confusing and, uh, and sometimes kind of scary pieces around the idea of taking action Um around domestic violence feeling like you have to know so much more than you do in order to take action and when we're talking about uh being a bystander when you're actually witnessing a behavior it simplifies things pretty tremendously to say you know i don't really know what's going on i don't know what happened in history i don't know who's done what in the past i just know what's happening right here right now in front of me is not okay
1: Yeah. yeah and that
0: something needs to change
1: yeah, um, a part of my my Midwestern upbringing is rearing its head, saying, "What if we just happen to have a boisterous family? What happens if we, you know? I mean, some families argue and they're boisterous, and it's it's not any sign of any kind of domestic violence. It's just the the culture, or behavior, or whatever that they they exhibit. What if I see? Uh, I come from a family that's that's very quiet and and uh, not demonstrative, and and I witness." This 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 boisterous family in the store. Should I leap to the conclusion that it's domestic violence? Should I leap to the conclusion that um, I need to to intercede in some way? Um, how does one really make that determination that this is unacceptable behavior and this is just uh, behavior within a, a normal range that I don't happen to share? <clears throat>
0: Well, the beautiful thing I think about being a bystander is that you don't necessarily have to make that determination. Um, that uh, again, it's about trusting your gut, and if it feels uncomfortable, say, doing something. It doesn't mean that you walk up to the person and say, "I think you're being abusive when you said that. Uh, you need to stop that abusive behavior." Um, but it can be again, just sort of interrupting it. And if the you know if the two people that are involved. Um, turn and look at you and they just kind of laugh and go on their way because it's isn't uh something that's um difficult for them that it is just a really boisterous loud family or whatever then um then again no harm done but at mm-hmm. least you know we, um you're checking it with your own moral ground and saying it felt uncomfortable to me and at least I said something I took a step I did I took action um and that. that feels because if it had been a, had been a frightening situation um I may have been able to interrupt something that was going to be uh dangerous or damaging
1: so. okay and how do I tell myself that I wasn't a busybody that doing something in that scenario was not just being an old busybody you know paying attention to somebody else's business well
0: you know that's some of you know I think that's some of the um long-term sort of uh social um, values that we really are attempting to challenge and bringing an end to domestic violence. You know, there's been uh, one of the difficult things around the issue is for so long is that we have considered it to be something that happens behind closed doors, that we don't have a right to intervene in whatever happens in the family, that um, if she's hitting him or he's hitting her, that that's their business and we don't have a right to intervene. Um, And so for the last 40 years now, we've been trying to figure out where the boundaries are around that, uh, that that's a a strong value that we hold as a culture. And does it make sense? Or do we have a vested interest as a community in that violence not happening? Or is there an imbalance of power that exists there that means that it's not a situation that this family can work out in a way that is safe um, or even perhaps feasible? So... I think some of that whole notion of being a busybody, we need to find ways to set that aside and say no. You know, we know that domestic violence can escalate to the point where it's it's not simply, as though it was simple, <laughs> not simply just the family members that are in danger, but that the community at large can be in danger. We have police officers that have been killed as a result. We have uh, people, other people in stores, for instance, that have been shot um, and killed as a result of domestic violence, that it, ha- that it can bleed over into the community. Um, literally. Figuratively, quite literally, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we... We have a vested interest as a community in ensuring that um, violence is not occurring in relationships, and we need to set aside some of that worry about being a busybody. And if something feels uncomfortable, make a statement. Again, you know, there's little chance for there to be harm done. Maybe you're embarrassed a little bit if they look at you and say, "This isn't any of your business," um, and it becomes obvious that. It You know, nothing's going on that that there needed to be an intervention with. But, you know, okay to be a little embarrassed if it means that at some point you might actually be making a difference um, exactly. for a victim.
1: Sure. Um, what is
0: the bystander effect? Are you
1: familiar
0: with that? The bystander effect? Yeah. Um, no, I don't. No, can you when, get it? Um, do they...
1: you? Uh, <laughs> well i have a, a li- you know i've read a little bit about it, and I think it it's appropriate here at you know we at one of our scenarios we talked about um the um group of people. Who kind of cluster and and are observing and talking amongst themselves of whether they should do, you know should do this shouldn't do this da da da, and I think that whole effect of, of the that bystander mentality is fed by one another. So if you have a person in that little group who says, "Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this," um, and it, it, it's it's kind of the the group think as opposed to an individual thinking. Um, in my interpretation, I mean, I don't. You know, I, I don't know at all. Um, but um, one of the things that's always occurred to me is that why do I need to talk with somebody else if I'm seeing what my eyes are seeing? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? I'm not phrasing mm-hmm. this very well. Um, but apparently there is, you know, uh, an effect that a, the group has upon each, you know, each member of that group. Um mm-hmm. In which case, you may be seeing something that makes you feel pretty uncomfortable and you're questioning whether or not you should intercede or uh, intervene. And um, there are other people around you who are saying, no, stay away from that, stay away from that, Um, which goes back to developing your own self-confidence, your own confidence that you can do something and that you can have an effect regardless of what the other people in the group are thinking. That's my Mm -hmm. interpretation. So I don't Um, know. Um one of the things that I'm really concerned about uh with uh bystanders is that we don't necessarily have to see, we don't have to witness a violent act or potentially violent act to witness domestic violence. I'm thinking of all of the media responses and all of the media stories about uh people who have um you know committed had have been injured in domestic violence situations and how poorly sometimes it's reported. Oftentimes it's reported. When we read that article, we're witnessing that event. And if that event is reported inappropriately or inaccurately, do we have an obligation as a bystander there to, to inter, interfere? Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a media story that I read Oh, last month or so. There was a, a man back east who uh, killed his three children. He, it was his weekend with the children. He and his wife were were separating, and uh, she had filed for divorce. He had the three children for the weekend. He didn't bring the children back. She called the police. Um, two or three days after that, um, the man was stopped, and there was a definite odor of death about his car and so he was confronted and uh, he was he was stopped for a traffic violation and so he confessed that he had killed the children and uh, had buried them on a uh, country road somewhere and the media story started out the very first paragraph of this news story was how well educated he was and how much money he made and how responsible his job was then they proceeded to talk about how nobody had reported the children missing when, in fact, the woman had, if you continued reading the article. They reported on, I I mean, the first thing news articles usually do is go find the neighbor who will say, oh, you know, uh, Fred was such a great man. I can't believe he did this. He was so wonderful. To me, that's that's irresponsible reporting. And if I read that, I'm a bystander. Do I have any kind of obligation as a bystander to that kind of stuff to interfere there and, and make my my um, feelings and ideas known to the media?
0: You know, I, I don't know if it's an obligation, but I absolutely it's something that I would support tremendously for each of us to do. You know, the, what we hear from the media all the time is that they respond to what the public wants or what the public yeah, is absolutely. interested in. You know, and we're the public. So if that's the case, then the more of us they hear from that says this is absolutely inappropriate reporting. Um, you know, we hear so often in domestic violence cases that it was a love triangle, um, which is so far from the case that, you know, it has that has nothing to do. Um, you know, love has very little to do with what goes on in violent relationships. And so I, I think the more that we... We stand up, we write an op ed piece, you know an opinion piece that gets published in the newspaper, or we contact the editor of the newspaper and make a complaint um you know with any kind of media, you know whether it's a television station or the newspaper or radio um, I think that that we've done a really a really good thing to help our community see uh these uh, this form of violence for what it truly is, and the more that we see the truth of it, the you know, the better informed we are, to make different choices. So.
1: Well, and and you know, my undergrad degree is in journalism, so I I feel really strongly about <laughs> journalistic responsibility <laughs> in an era when uh, you know the the. Um, Citizen journalism is the term they use where anybody with a cell camera is is or a cell phone is is making the news. Um, but I really mm-hmm. feel that there's a responsibility of the media to report accurately. And when they just throw this stuff in there, it really gets to me. And and I do feel like I'm I'm witnessing some sort of uh, abuse when I read those those articles. Um, so I may be making a very broad interpretation of what it means to be a bystander, but that's that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Works for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there's been some education in schools about bystander uh models and bystander behavior. Have you heard of any of mm-hmm. those programs? Okay. And what oh, yeah. and what is your feeling on those? Could you describe a little bit what they are and what you what you think, what your take on them is?
0: Mhm mhm um well two of the programs that have become uh, pretty popular and pretty widespread i had mentioned the bringing in the bystander and um mentors in violence prevention bringing in the bystander was specifically developed for college campuses to work with college age students around uh, sexual assault uh, and domestic violence that might be occurring uh, um, between students and um has proven to be pretty actually very effective in uh, in reducing incidents of violence on campus. The Mentors in Violence Prevention was developed by a gentleman named Jackson Katz, and he's used it in a variety of different environments, certainly on college campuses, but also uh, with the military and with football teams, and just, uh, you know, he's been gone international uh, with that program.
1: I think Uh, he needs to work harder with the football teams, but okay, go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, it it, we're enough. talking
0: about something that's so deeply rooted in our culture. You know, our belief system around who men are and who women are, and who has rights to what, and what it means to be in a relation. I mean, there's just so many aspects, as I was saying before, that um, that we're we're trying to make a really big change when we talk about bringing an end to domestic violence. When we talk about um, being able to. Truly, establish equality and relationships between men and women in particular um so so yeah even even the best education it's something that needs to happen consistently and on an ongoing basis, and that um all of us all of us need to support in some way that's part of the beauty of the idea of the bystander is that um all of us can take a role, a very active role in helping to make that change happen.
1: We just have to understand that it's important that we do so. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I think we get wrapped up in our everyday lives, and we don't realize that what we do out there in the world is important um, and has an impact on the other people, whether it's racing down the road, trying to make your next appointment, or whether it's you know domestic violence issues. What we do has an impact in the right. community as a whole. So I think we need to do that. Talking about the community... What about mm-hmm. community programs talking about bystanders? I have not heard of any. Uh, are there any communities that are focusing on uh, um, bystander readiness, by, bystander preparedness approaches?
0: Mm. Well. Uh, Not a specific community that I know of, but I I think that these kind of programs that we're talking about that are being done in college campuses and um, among high school students and other organized groups, (laughs) um, which certainly mentors in violence prevention has been used in a really wide variety of um, locations, Uh, you know, the information is certainly there. And I think there's a lot of people who are beginning to take notice, if only because, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about is uh, witnessing an incident that happens uh, among a couple of strangers, but I know some of my own experiences have been people who've approached me and said, something's going on with a couple that are friends of mine, and I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> I don't know if I should do anything about that. Um, I don't know if I should say anything. And where we tend to focus oftentimes when we have friends or family members that are involved in a violent relationship is to focus on the victim and trying to encourage the victim to leave. And we very seldom think in terms of taking any action to say to the offender, the abuser, that their behavior isn't acceptable. And, you know, part of the idea around bystanders is that we have that opportunity. And, and, so, and if we go through the model, uh, that piece around assuming responsibility, do we have a responsibility in some way? If we love that person who is choosing to use violence, to say to them what they're doing is not okay, that they're hurting themselves, they're hurting family, they're hurting the people that they love, and that something needs to shift and you're willing to be there to support them in making that shift. So, um, so the whole na- idea concept of bystander can be a very very powerful uh, thing if we think about it in in all ways that it can that the concept can be used.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things I would think uh, that would be important in in any kind of bystander preparedness program or or uh, materials would be. Um, recognizing all sorts of uh, abusive behavior okay mm-hmm. um, we know that uh, as as a general rule people tend to associate domestic violence with broken bones and black eyes and there's less acknowledgement of other forms of violence and abuse um, the verbal the you know, economic all that kind of, kind of stuff so when we're talking about training bystanders to do something, don't we also have to train them to recognize something other than fisticuffs as being domestic violence?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important and, for all people, for people in general to understand the yeah. dynamics that go on in abusive relationships. And there's, there's lots of different forms of violence that are used, different tactics that are used by offenders to control their partner. Yeah. And I interrupted you. What were you gonna say, Heather? I'm sorry. No,
1: no, that's good. That's good. I'm just here as a trigger point. Um so yeah, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, we come back once again to this whole idea of educating, educating, educating. And that's much easier said than done. Um as as I'm sure <laughs> as I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new. Um, does the program have anything uh any kind of a, a class or, or uh, um anything that, that Deals with domestic or with um, uh, witness bystanders at this point, Barbara. Your program.
0: Uh, well, the center on domestic violence. Actually, we took the lead in establishing. We're, as you said, we're based in the School of Public Affairs at the University of Colorado Denver, and we share the Auraria campus. The University of Colorado Denver does with two other institutions: uh, another university and a community college. And so, they're we're actually the largest university campus in Colorado with some. 45,000 or so students on the campus at any given time. And uh, about six years ago or so, we were uh, very active in establishing a program for the campus that not only provided direct services for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, but also does a tremendous amount of prevention education on the campus. And one of the areas of focus for that program is around bystander education we have brought people in to train our volunteers and our staff and then in turn have been doing a, a lot of work on the campus to help uh, everyone actually students faculty and staff to understand the role that they can play in uh, as bystanders
1: mm-hmm. to interpersonal you know, violence cuz we're all bystanders to everything if we pay attention to it you know i mean um mm-hmm. we i think that we need to um as as individuals as citizens recognize how much uh influence we can have on our community even if we're just you know in in the the grocery store we can have a, a fair amount of influence on those around us in in my view um and especially when it comes to something like this where you can step in and speak up you know um at the very least okay assuming that you know our scenario has turned violent and i as a bystander do not feel confident Jumping in to to do anything. At the very least, I can call nine one one, right?
0: Mm hmm. Absolutely.
1: Okay. If I call nine one one, I tend to th- now. Maybe this is just me. I tend to think it's a really big deal to call nine one one. And with me, the behavior would have to be pretty blatant before I would actually call nine one one. I don't think a lot of necessarily everybody feels that way, but I do. You know, good old Ohio girl here. Um, and is there could could you figure or share with us any point at which it might be appropriate to call nine one one when blows have not necessarily been been thrown?
0: Mm. You know, I think in any circumstance where you think that someone might be physically harmed, that it would be appropriate to call nine one one. Okay. And, you know, and depending on where you are, there might be other, you know, for instance, I think about campus there. We have security on campus, and we have a campus police department um, that can be called in. We have faculty that are usually close by and who have some level of authority um, that could step in, for instance. Um, so there might be other other forms of authority or security around you that you could reach out to before before dialing 911. I know I, I think police departments in particular believe that it's it's helpful for you not to call them and, and for every little thing. <laughs> but <Yes. laughs> I think if you have any sense at all that someone is in danger, that it makes it, yeah, always err on the side of safety, always.
1: When, what was it last week? The, the news reported a man who called 911 looking for a date. It was an emergency, you know, he had to he had to find a date for this event so he called oh 911 <laughs> people call 911 for everything they there do
0: are, actually having had uh, talked to yeah. some departments about dispatch and what kind of calls they get it's pretty amazing how often people call 911 for information and referral
1: well i this has been several months but there was uh, they released audio from a 911 call from a little boy a 6 year old boy and the little boy called up and said it was an emergency. He didn't have his math homework done. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the the operator, you know, once it dawned on him that this kid was not reporting an actual emergency, um, he didn't yell at the kid, you know, because he could tell the kid wasn't just being you know obnoxious he really thought that you know this would and so the the man asked him why he didn't have his homework done and what kind of homework it was and did he think he could sit down and work on that homework right then and then pretty soon in the background you hear this woman's voice going what are you doing on the phone and this little boy says you told me if i had an emergency to call 9 one you know <laughs> <laughs> and in his view, not having his homework done was an emergency, you know. So that's just a little aside. Sorry about that one, but I thought that was so cute, um, you know. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, our, What's all of our you know, emergencies gosh, for that? Time? I, I think you and I just got it you know, call each other every, every week because we can just keep going, can't we? Um, there is a program, we're talking about um, uh, educational efforts toward um, uh, bystander training. There is a program, which I'm you're probably familiar with, Barb, but I was not, uh, based out of the University of Arizona called Step Up Program. And mm-hmm. it tries to, it's a program to promote uh, pro-social bystander behavior. Are you familiar with that program? Uh-huh, I am can Can you explain it and let us know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent?
0: mm it, well, I definitely would say that it was a good program i i think that the the core um the core values of each of the bystander programs that have been developed are are pretty much the same, and they're they're designed to impact that five step process that you've been talking about, Heather, to help people understand a little bit more about what the dynamics are that go on uh, in abusive relationships. are actually both around sexual abuse and domestic violence and um, come to terms a little bit more about what their personal responsibility might be, help them figure out what, stra- what a variety of strategies might be that they can take, and then to step up to actually take the action of uh, t- of doing something Um MVP, for instance, the um, Mentors in Violence Prevention, talk a lot about doing something. It doesn't have to be the be all and end all <laughs> to change what might be going on in a relationship, but any action that you can take is better than sitting by silently. Um, it can even be even if
1: it's a dirty look and a glare?
0: If it's a dirty look and a glare, or uh, they talk about, so again, they work a lot on college campuses. So maybe something happens that you're really uncomfortable with, you're at a party. And you notice that um, maybe one of your friends is leaving with someone who, who uh, th- your friend is incredibly drunk, and they're leaving with someone that you're afraid is going to take advantage of them. And you don't necessarily do anything in the spur of the moment because you haven't th- thought of what you might be able to do. But the next day, um, you go to that friend, or maybe you go to the you know the resident advisor on your floor if you're in a dorm or something, and and report that something happened. So no matter what it is, even if it isn't, you know, there is no best response. The important thing is that there is a response, that you, t- that you do something, that you step up and you'd be willing to take some kind of action to intervene when you think or when you're afraid that some level of violence might be happening between two people. Whether
1: it be sexual or domestic violence or, you know, any kind of interpersonal violence, um, I think that we have to be prepared and know in advance the options that we have for for you know taking some sort of action in that and taking that responsibility as that five step um, model I uh, talked about. So, gosh, have we covered it, Barb? <laughs> We're all we well, done you know, now.
0: I think just one thing I would like to say is is just how many. Um, how many people that I have worked with, how many survivors of violence that I have worked with who have told me when someone has stepped up and intervened, how valuable it has been to them. So I I hope if people are considering whether bystander is the right thing for them, that they they think about really the positive benefit that can come from taking action.
1: Exactly. And I know there are studies that are out. If if somebody's interested in research, they can uh, uh, Google bystander research and learn a lot that way. I think that everybody who's in uh, some sort of social organization uh, or church or anything else should kind of petition... Bring up the idea of having bystander training, uh, or at least talking about bystander uh, action during their um, uh, regular meetings or programs. So I, I think that that's definitely something that we could do. Barb, mm-hmm. thank you so much uh, for joining me. I've I've learned a lot, and I hope our listeners have too. And uh, it's it's been a joy to to catch up with you. And um, I. Think that uh, or at least I hope that what we've talked about today is is helpful to folks out there. Don't forget that you can go to our website um, and you can listen to this program again, or you can listen to it online at your convenience. I always wrap up the show, Barb, with a quote, and today I have a quote from William S. Burroughs: hmm. "There are no innocent bystanders. What they are doing there? What are they doing there in the first place?" So if you're not doing something, don't assume you're an innocent bystander. So Mm. that's it. Thank you for joining us, and uh, join us next week for another episode of Three Women, Three Ways. (laughs) Thank you, Heather. Thanks, Barb.